The title for this Mother's Day message is found in Proverbs 31.30. And you could say it with me, all right? It's in your bulletin also. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And that's the title of my message, A Woman Who Fears the Lord. Mothers in Israel have long been the ones with the most influence for their faith of their children. Israelite boys would typically spend their first seven years with the women of the household, learning many things from their mothers. Afterward, they were allowed to go out and work with men. Even in modern Israel, a true Jew is defined as the son of a Jewish mother. The Mishnah states that the offspring of a Jewish mother and a non-Jewish father is recognized as a Jew while the offspring of a non-Jewish mother and a Jewish father is not considered a Jew. There is an old Chinese proverb that goes, one generation plants a tree and another gets the shade. Moms play the biggest part in planting seeds of growth in the home, and it starts very early on with their children. And we can see the importance of early trial training in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6. If you would just turn there with me for a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6. Moses wrote, And these words which I commanded you today shall be where? In your heart. That's a big difference between having the Word of God hidden in the heart and just knowing the Word of God intellectually. These words which I commanded you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. That's actually, that, it's, that phrase there is the Hebrew word shanon, teach them diligently. And it means to sharpen. In, in Deuteronomy 32.41, it refers to the sharpening of a sword. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. That encompasses the whole of a person's daily life. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And if you go to Israel and you see a typical Jewish home, you will see the scriptures literally in a little box on the doorposts of the home. But what I would take this to mean as far as a mom is concerned and a father is concerned in teaching their children you're to take the scriptures and you to you are to write them on the door of their heart. You are you are to put them in their heart. We see this early child development in the life of Timothy. In Acts chapter 16, Acts 16, verse 1, speaking of Paul with Timothy, Timothy it says, He came to Derby and, and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. And then it says this, the son of a certain Jewish 
woman who believed, whose father was Greek. Now, this certain Jewish woman is identified in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, and her name was, was Eunice. And that's an interesting name, Eunice. I don't know if you know of anybody called Eunice today. But it's, it's, a, it's a compound word, and it means conquering well. You, E-U, the prefix, Eunice, that you, you, can, you could identify that in the word euangelista, which is the gospel. Good news, well news, good news. And then added to that prefix U, E-U, is the word Nike, N-I-K-E, which means to conquer. So her name literally meant to conquer well. And you know what that tells me? That this woman, who we know very little about, was a warrior for the Lord. She was a warrior for the Lord. And every Christian woman, mother or not, can be a warrior for the Lord in the battle for truth. Now, before the nation of Israel had kings to rule over them, God appointed judges and prophets to speak to the people on his behalf. And one of those judges and prophets was a, was a woman, a prophetess named Deborah. And she truly was a, a warrior for the Lord. In, in Judges, the book of Judges chapter 4, look what it says, beginning in the first verse. And you know the cycle of Judges, where the nation would fall into sin, they'd cry out to God, God would send them a judge to deliver them. And then as soon as things were well again, after a certain period of time, they'd go back to their old ways and the cycle would repeat over and over. But God spoke through Judges to the people. Now it says in, in Judges chapter 4, when Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold him into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of the army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harosheth, Hagoyim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So they're in trouble again. And this is what, what a lot of people do. The only time they really know God or call upon God is when they're in trouble. And then as soon as the trouble is passed, they just go on with their life. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at this time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh in Naphtali. And he said to him, Has not the Lord commanded of Israel, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army with the chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hands. And then it says in verse 8, And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. 
So she said, I will surely go with you. Here's the warrior for the Lord. I will go with you. Nevertheless, will be, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell or deliver Sisera into the hand of a woman. You know what this tells me? Like Eunice, who was a warrior for the Lord, warriors for the Lord are courageous. They're courageous. In a Shepherd's Press article I read this, Deborah was not caught up in the fear of her day. And you know, we live in a very fearful time, don't we not? None of us know what another day will bring. But Deborah was not caught up in the fear of the Lord, in the fear of the day. She took God at his word. She was a woman who feared the Lord, not the fear of the day. So when she was given the message to Barak to attack Sisera, she didn't flinch. He did. She didn't flinch. Even though Sisera had a formidable armory that featured 900 chariots of iron, she delivered God's word to Barak with confidence. And here it was. Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? This, this, this woman is telling this, this leader of the army, Here's what God has commanded you. And in essence, she's saying, do it. And what is significant is that Deborah, with those words, inspired courage in Barak. And she agreed to go to battle with Barak and the troops. But she did say, there won't be any glory for you in the course you're taking. The Lord will deliver Sisera into my hand, the hands of a woman. And I just want to say this to you. Moms who, who fear the Lord inspire their children to be courageous. And this is what we need today. We need, we need children growing up in the fear of the Lord who are courageous and will stand for truth. Deborah was called a mother in Israel, or actually in Judges 5, the mother of Israel. She was seen as the matriarch of Israel. Deborah knew that God would fight for Israel that day. And godly Christian mothers teach their children, listen to me, they teach their children that God is with them. He is ever present. And that is all that they really, they, they really need. They don't have to be afraid of anyone or anything. And listen, you do not have to live in fear. The Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear. Right? But he's given us a sound mind. When we hide the word of God in our heart. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3. Here's what Paul wrote. I thank God whom I serve with the pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance, he's saying to Timothy, the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. 
So what we learn here is the process that led to Timothy's salvation and spiritual development in the things of the Lord. Eventually, he became mentored by the Apostle Paul, and he, he became a great worker for the Lord. That process, I believe, began at the knees of his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. It began with the prayers and the time that those two spent teaching him the scriptures. You know, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, you know the story of Hannah. She was childless. And in 1 Samuel 1, 11, it says, Then she, Hannah, made a vow, a vow unto the Lord and said, O Lord of hosts, here's, here's a prayer. If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, I will give your maidservant a male child and give your servant, maidservant a male child. Then I will give to him, to the Lord, all the days of his life. And, you know, I, you have to pause right there. Because, you know, one prayer that Marie and I always had was, you know, with our daughter, was that she would come to know the Lord and she would serve the Lord all the days of her life. And she says that no razor would come upon his head. This is the vow of a Nazarite. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put, put the wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. I've poured out my heart before the Lord. And I have to wonder how many moms have poured out their hearts to the Lord for their children and still do, even when they are grown up, when they have left the home. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says, evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse. That's the day in which he lived. That's the day in which we are living. Evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But he says to Timothy, you must continue in the things which you have learned, manthano is the word, and been assured of knowing from of whom you have learned them, and that from a childhood, your childhood, and the word there literally means infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation, through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Now he's telling Timothy, you learn these things. In verse 14, the word learn there is to learn by inquiry and observation, to be taught. And it's actually the word used in the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, for a disciple who is called a matates, matates, mathanyo, mathanyo, it means to learn. And it includes, but it is not limited to rote learning. Like A, B, C, D, E, F, G. That's rote learning. You teach your children, right? The alphabet and many such things. But real learning isn't just rote learning. It's much more than that. Children learn the songs you see to them. And it's often the case with Christian. They learn their first theology in song. They really do. Jesus loves me, this I know, right? For the Bible tells me so. 
Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. How many times have you sung that to your little one? Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. They learn their first Bible verses from their mother. Some are very simple. God is love. That's that's a very short, second shortest verse in the Bible that I know. The shortest is Jesus wept. God is love. They learn their first Bible stories from their mother. And they learn the power of a godly example from their mother. Typically, first, Lois, Eunice, Timothy. The truth was passed from generation to generation. So it's no wonder then in that Proverbs 31.28, the scripture says her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. But from a childhood, from infancy, Paul says, you have known, not only learned, but you have known, and the Greek word is oida, the Holy Scriptures. So it's one thing to learn, rote learning in other ways, but he says, you have known the Holy Scriptures. And that word known there means to see, to see and comprehend, to take in, to know by observation. And it expresses the fact that the object has come within the scope of the knower's perception. Listen, mom, dad, your children are always watching you. Their eyes are always on you. Always on you. Here's the interesting thing. Eunice and her mother Lois go silent in the New Testament after this only mention of them. This is all that we know about them. But their godly example as woman who feared the Lord is still with us today. I'm preaching it today. And just as Timothy's grandmother and mother were examples to him, Paul urged Timothy to become that kind of an example to others. See, truth is passed from one generation to another generation. In 1 Timothy 4.12, he says to Timothy, let nobody despise your youth, but be an, an example. Be an example to the believers in word. And this is what you want to teach your children. Their word should be good. The things that they say should be true in word, in conduct. And the things they say should be followed up by their life. There should be no conflict. In love, how they will respond to other people. In spirit, which encompasses their attitude, their humility. In faith, the demonstration of their trust in God. And in purity, that's holy living. That's the kind of example that Paul wanted Timothy to bear. I've often said what your children see and hear from you, they will never forget. They will never forget. Now, we're all examples of one kind or another, are we not? Good or bad. We've we've all done some things we're, we're not proud of, we're ashamed of. And thank God there is forgiveness for everything, every sin with Jesus. 
but we can move forward in a more positive light, right? So I just want to look for briefly at the example of the noble woman or mother in Proverbs. And although we're talking about mothers, it's applicable in many ways to, to everybody here today. It says in Proverbs verse 11, 31, 11, that this woman is trustworthy. She's trustworthy. It says the heart of her husband safely trusts in her. And Matthew Henry says he trusts in her chastity. He trusts in her conduct that she will speak in the company of people and act in all affairs with prudence and discretion. He trusts in her fidelity to his interests and that she will never betray his counsel. He trusts in her to order the affairs of the home in his absence. She is trustworthy. A noble woman who fears the Lord is trustworthy. And then it says in Proverbs 31, beginning in verse 13 through 24, that she is a hard worker. I'll tell you, I can remember my mom. My mom was a hard worker. And you know, my mom was not only a hard worker, my grandmother was a hard worker, and that's where my mom got her work ethic from. There was a cartoon which showed a psychologist talking to a distressed woman. Let's see, he said, you spend 50% of your energy on your housework, 50% on your husband, and 50% on your children. I think I see the problem. Right? That's called burned out. Listen, most mothers, if not all the mothers I know, are hard workers. They're hard workers. They don't stop. They keep going. Verse 13 says, she seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. You know what that tells me? That her work is inspired by the love and the devotion of her heart to her family to her children, to her husband. She works willingly with her hands. You don't, you don't have to force her to work. Her love for God, her love for her children, and, and her, her husband is something that just flows naturally out of her heart. But it starts really with the, her love for her husband. And that's what children need to see. They need to see mothers who love their husbands and they're who, who are devoted to them. So not only does she work hard, she is strong in heart. Verse 17 says she girds herself with strength and strengthens her armors, her, her, her arms. So I ask you this morning, where does that strength come from? Where does a noble woman, a woman who fears the Lord, where does her strength come from? It comes from her personal walk with the Lord. There is a stanza in the hymn, Grace, Tis the Charming Sound, that reads, Oh, let thy grace inspire my soul with strength divine. May all my powers to thee aspire and all my days be thine. Let thy grace inspire my soul with strength divine. It comes from the Lord. And a, a woman who fears the Lord is a Psalm 46 woman. In Psalm 46, verse 1 says, God is what? Our refuge and strength. 
a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, and you know the book of Ecclesiastes, sometimes it be, can be quite depressing as it takes a realistic look at life and the futility of trying to find things that will satisfy you apart from a relationship with the living God. All is vanity, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, all is emptiness, all is passing. Not, not, not much really matters is what Solomon is saying there. But he goes to the end of the book and he says this in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man and women. Fear God and keep his commandments. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Listen, you can go to the book of Romans chapter 3 and read verses 10 through 17 on your own. And it is a look at the depravity of man's heart. It's, it's a litany of sins. And in Romans 3.18, after it gives that litany of sins and that realistic picture into the heart of man, and, Jesus, and Jeremiah says the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Jesus says, out of the heart proceeds all manner of evil, adulteries, murders, fornications, thefts, everything. It comes from the heart. After it gives that realistic look at the depraved nature of man's heart, it attributes it to one thing. Romans 3.18 There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is why we are in the mess that we are in as a society. This is why we see the violence we see taking place everywhere. This is why we see the abortion, the lawlessness. There is no fear of God before their eyes. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And a woman who fears the Lord teaches her children to fear the Lord. Now, the word fear there doesn't mean that you stand and, and you're shaking Although when God, when God moves sometimes in judgment, it's terrifying. But the word fear means reverence, awe. You, you stand in awe of the God who created all things, who spoke, and, and the Bible says it stood fast. It was done just with a word. He brought everything that, is that we see in the creation into being with his word. He's the thrice holy God that Isaiah saw, saw in chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. What does that mean? Well, God is absolutely pure. The Bible says that nothing, nothing sinful, nothing evil will ever enter into his presence. Nothing. No one. Now, we are by nature sinners. We're evil. So the only way that a sinful being could stand in the presence of a holy God is if he has been washed and cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And if all of our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of a thrice holy God, then how are you going to stand there? How are you going to stand there? The only way is if you receive a righteousness that is not your own. Where does that come from? It comes from the only person who ever lived in this world and walked on this earth that lived a sinless life and died on a cross called Calvary to forgive you of your sins so that by simple faith in Him, you can, you can receive a righteousness, a holiness, a right standing with God that you do not possess on your own and you cannot work for it. It's a gift. That's why the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Thirdly, not only is this woman a hard worker who fears the Lord, she is a woman of kindness. In Proverbs 31, 20 says, she extends her hand to the poor. That's compassion. That's kindness. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. And then in verse 26, the latter part, it says, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. And that word kindness there is the Hebrew word, he said. He said, you could write a H-E-S-E-D if you want to put it down in English. It's used of the loving kindness and the mercy and compassion of God all throughout the Old Testament. His mercies are new every morning. And it says that the law of kindness, it speaks of the law of kindness, and that means that kindness, listen to me, governs or rules this woman's speech. The law of kindness is on her tongue. It rules her speech. Listen, I don't know what you think, but I think this. We need a lot more kindness in our homes today. We need a lot more of kindness in our churches today. We need a lot more of kindness in our workplace today. And we need a lot more kindness in our nation today. You've never seen it like this. Never. I've never seen so many people angry at so many other people. It goes on, it says she's a woman of wisdom in verse 26. And it should come no surprise that where wisdom is present, kindness is present. James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of, of wisdom. And that comes in the context, if you read it, of wholesome speech. Kind speech. In other words, the law of kindness, the law of kindness on the tongue comes from wisdom. It doesn't happen naturally. It comes from knowing God and hiding His Word in your heart. And that's why James 3.17 says, the wisdom that is from above is first pure. 
that's not tainted by anything. And peaceable. It promotes peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. It is gentle. You know what a gentleman is? A gentleman. It is gentle. It is willing to yield. Wow, everybody wants their rights. Right? They don't want to give up anything. They don't want to yield anything. We have to, we have, to have signs that say yield right away. Right? But, it, but in life, it's, it's much more prevalent when we see people around us just claiming everything for themselves. Everything. Willing to yield. This is the wisdom that is from above. Full of mercy. Compassion. Compassion is having people's hurts in your heart. And good fruits, good deeds, practical things that you would do for people without partiality, showing no respect for persons, treating everybody alike as people who are made in the image of God. And then it says without hypocrisy. That's sincerity. A gentle woman is a kind woman. 1 Peter 3, 3, do not let your adornment be merely outward. You know what that is? That's the beauty that passes away. That's the beauty that is vain. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious. In the sight of God. Wow. What kind of a woman is precious in God's eyes? The woman with a gentle and quiet spirit. Peter Davis writes Gentle in the Greek world was an amiable friendliness that contrasted with roughness, bad temper, or brusqueness. In biblical perspective, the term indicates a person who does not attack back. For he or she waits on God to judge in the end. Knowing God is just, the person can suffer evil without bitterness and vengeance. David adds that the term quiet conveys a sense of, of being calm, peaceful, and tranquil, as opposed to restless rebellious, disturbed, or insubordinate. I mean, don't you like to be around people who are calm, peaceful, tranquil? You could be upset, you could be restless, you could be disturbed. You come into the presence of a person like that, and all of a sudden, the temperature is lowered. That's the kind of effect it has on people. Proverbs 21 9 says, Better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. It's the opposite of a woman of a meek and quiet spirit. And I think what that is telling us is sometimes it is better to retreat than to react. Right? Listen, I've already said it, but I'll say it in a different way. We live in a rough 
aggressive, get-in-your-face world. That's the world we live in. The woman who stands out in God's eyes an example of, as an example of Christ is the woman with the meek and quiet spirit. It's totally contrasted to the spirit of this age in this world. But you know what? Here's the thing. The woman, the world, may call such a woman a doormat. The feminists will call her weak. But Proverbs 31, 28 says, her children rise up and call her blessed her husband also, and he praises her. She is not known by the expensive clothes she wears, the outward adornment, but Proverbs 31.25 says, strength and honor are her clothing. The best of wives, the best of mothers, the best of women are those whose ethics, values, convictions, and priorities are grounded in the fear of and the love of God. That's a beautiful woman. Thomas Hawkins reminds us, in spite of the great beauty of this portrayal of the ideal woman, because you could read Proverbs 31 and you can go, forget it, I could never be that. It's the ideal woman. Not a real woman, in a sense, that we would think someone's wife. But in spite of the great beauty of this portrayal of the ideal woman, and the honor given her, this passage is nevertheless often viewed by modern women as a harsh yardstick by which to measure their shortcomings. Many cringe at the mere mention of this woman in Proverbs 31. Therefore, it is important to put into perspective certain aspects of the poem's message because it's Hebrew poetry in many ways. First, no young bride can possibly fulfill all that is pictured in this poem before developing the maturity that comes only with time. This portrait looks at the finished product, not a young woman entering marriage. It reflects the cumulative effect of a life lived wisely. At any given point in life, a person can only seek to move in the direction this superb and energetic woman has laid out for us to follow, for others to follow. She serves, and I like this, as a kind of a pictorial mentor of the ultimate wife and mother, the ideal or noble woman. I like the words pictorial mentor. And that, that's what children see, right? They see the example of their mother almost like a picture. So I want to ask you this, and not, not ask, but address this. A woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. What is the fear of the Lord? I said it's to stand in awe of God. And I, I could say a lot more about this, but I don't have time. The essential ingredients of the fear of God are threefold. Remember I said the real root problem, Romans 3.18? There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the problem. The essential ingredients of the fear of God are threefold. Number one, correct concepts of the character of God. You can't really fear God unless you know God and what he is like. And that knowledge comes from God's word. 
Eunice was able to teach Timothy the scriptures because she knew the scriptures. She knew the character of God. So the essential ingredients of the fear of God are correct concepts of the character of God, knowledge gained from God's word. Secondly, a pervasive sense of the presence of God. What is that? That's peace gained from God's proven trustworthiness. Listen to me. The only thing that God cannot do is fail. That's the only thing that an almighty, eternal, omniscient, omniscient God cannot do is fail. He said by his own declaration that by what my mouth has spoken, the right hand of my power is able to perform, is able to do. Peace gained from God's proven trustworthiness. And I say to the moms here today, your children will experience things in life that will greatly disturb them and will rock them to the core of their beings and will challenge their faith and their belief in God. So you need to begin at an early age to teach them Psalm 56.3 What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not fear what man can do to me. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Correct concept of the character of God, a pervasive sense of the presence of God. And thirdly, the fear of the Lord is a constant awareness of our obligation to God, devotion gained from a surrendered heart. You know what God is like. You know that he is trustworthy by how he has taken you through the most difficult things of your life. And you become completely devoted to him. You surrender your life to him. Noah. I hope there's nobody here named Noah. Here. I hope they're not sleeping. Well, there is somebody named Noah, but he's not sleeping. Noah. I want you to build an ark. What's that? Oh, I want you to build an ark on dry ground. It's crazy. As we would think of it, right? You know, do you know why Noah went about and did it? Because Noah walked with God. He was a man devoted completely to God. So when God spoke, Noah said, okay. That's devotion. That's devotion to God that comes from a surrendered heart to God. Walking with the Lord. Enoch was, Enoch, the Bible says, walked with God and was not. And God took him. Oh, wow. 
what a mysterious life. Here was a man who walked so close with God while the world was starting to really get a mess that God said, Enoch, you're out of here. Come up here. Be with me. And he was gone. A woman who fears the Lord is a woman whose heart is saturated with the love of God and his love flows out of her life like a gushing spring. Titus 2.1 But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men would be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. So that's the Father's Day message. But then he goes on to the Mother's Day message. The older women likewise, in the same way, that they would be reverent. What does that mean, reverent? You know what it means? It means sacred. It's actually used of the, of, of the things that were consecrated to in, in temple service. Sacred, consecrated to God. So he's saying, the women likewise, the older women, that they would be consecrated to God in their behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. You love your husband first. You love your children. You love God first. You teach your children. You become an example for them to follow. And then one day, and the day will come faster than you will ever realize it. Faster than you can think about it. You pour your life into them. You pour your heart into them. And then they're gone. And they're out on their own. And you let them go. To live a life for the glory of God. That's what parenting is. Somebody described it to me. It's like flying a kite. When your children are little, just when you're flying a kite, there's a lot of obstacles out there. And you just let it out a little bit more, a little bit, little bit more string at a time. You kind of steer it away from the things that you would get tangled up in. And then one day when it's really soaring, you just, you just, you cut the rope and you let it go. And you've done what you can do. Philippians 1.9 says, In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment or discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus unto the glory and praise of God. That is the ultimate goal for your children. That they would have knowledge and discernment and make good choices, excellent choices. Approve those things that are excellent. Choose those things that are excellent. That they would live genuine Christian lives. That's the fruit of righteousness. That they would live obedient lives. That means without offense before God. And then finally he says in that that righteousness would shine from their lives like the sun shining at full strength on a cloudless day and all of this to the glory of God. 
You're not raising your children for some self-boasting. You're raising them to the glory of God. Now, mom and dad, if your children fail to do these things, it does not mean that you have failed at parenting. Children have a free will. They make their own choices. And sometimes in life, they make very poor choices. That is not on you. That is on them. You can give them a roadmap, but you can't make them follow it. But you know what? Even when they don't, or if they don't, you keep them in your prayers, right? You can no longer pray. You just keep praying for them. And you keep trusting God as you have always trusted God. And you know that his word, as he said, will never return void. So I just want to say again, thank you for coming. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms.